Welcome to the new Teacher Talk podcast. We are helping you find your passion, learn your craft, and share your successes. Welcome, everybody. How is it going, Pablo? It is going well, Wes. <laughs> it's going great, man. How you doing? Good, good, good. good Feeling luck. good. We're rocking. What's on the docket for today? Feeling loose. <laughs> okay. I don't think that's what's on the docket. So, you know, today we're going to talk about digital equity via reacting to a webinar that was held uh, i think two weeks ago now um and the name of that webinar i know you're curious digital equity in teacher education and it was part one of a three-part series nice nice hey but before we get into yes. that we want to invite you invite you to uh itunes go and leave us a and review. what are we gonna do at itunes we're gonna <laughs> Yeah, you kind of at five stars and a nice review. Yes. And that's all we want. Yeah, we want it, but we feel we ha will have earned it after listening to one of our episodes. We really feel that. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, we implore you to. Yeah, go check us out on social media and his up on iTunes and give us a five star right. rating and review. We would love that more than anything. And, uh, well, without further ado, <laughs> we started a little different today, huh? Let's just okay. uh, dive in. I, I think what we're going to do is. We're going to um, start with um, kind of throwing out a, a definition of digital equity. Sure. Um, Pablo, would you read the uh, definition you procured? It's rather worthy, so I'm glad I have it on type here. <laughs> digital equity means all students have adequate access to information and communication technologies for learning and for preparing for the future, regardless of socioeconomic status, physical disability, language, race, gender, or any other characteristics that have been linked with unequal treatment. Yeah. So, for example, like, let's just go back in time. If you remember segregation um, and um, kind of separate but equal. Um, so there's a time where like there were white schools and there were black schools and the white schools had textbooks and the black schools had textbooks. But the textbooks at the black schools were the old ones from the white schools when they're outdated and ruined and worn. They were given to the, the black students. So that's that's an example of like you could say on the surface it's equal like they both have textbooks but the equity of the situation is that some students uh, don't have the resources that uh, measure up to um, what what other students have and then similarly to today uh, in digital equity that the teachers or professors that hold those classrooms and that where those books are housed may not necessarily use them in a maybe an appropriate way or just use them at all with their students if they are a valuable resource a resource then maybe they should be utilizing those textbooks and whether you are at a predominantly black school or white school there is some inequities there in yeah. terms of the use of those resources yeah yeah so um I don't think we have, I think that that's a good uh, digital equity definition from the viewpoint that yeah. most times when I hear it talked about, people ignore the fact that equity comes out of a conversation about like race in America or um, people being treated unequally because of social status or physical disability or language or race. So I think if you just 
if you're just talking about like, oh, it's just access to technology and it has nothing do, to do with society in America, I think that's where you are actually not understanding what digital equity it is. Um, so we want to keep that in the forefront. I actually looked up some bad definitions, sure. which meant um, like they would just say it's it's equal technology. So like digital equity means like you get a Chromebook, you get a Chromebook, you get a Chromebook, you get a Chromebook, you get everybody gets a Chromebook. We've solved it. But that's that's not what it is, because then when you look at those technology factors, when students take it home and we talked about this before the show, if you take it home and you don't have Internet at home because of your socioeconomic uh, status or situation, um, then all of a sudden that tool means something different. Um, so that that's one example of how you could, as a school district, deploy an equal solution and it's it's not equitable. Um, so but without further ado, um, we're going to d- uh, jump into some little clips from the webinar. I mean, we will link in the show notes to the whole thing. We highly encourage you to check it out. Um, and I think each of our speakers, I think we have them uh uh, introduce themselves and if not we'll try to mention their name um, and so without further ado we're going to start with kind of a in one of the early comments in the webinar and that is um, let's see uh, I think Bettina Shea talking about digital equity in teacher ed I am Bettina Shea and I'm an associate professor in teacher ed at Cal State Long Beach and Within schools and programs, I think there are definite definite digital equity issues. Um, I'm in a large program, so Cal State Long Beach has one of the longest largest teacher credentialing programs in the state. And I think when we think about large programs or large schools or large districts, there's even equity issues within a certain program, right? So if you have a professor who actually is um, competent with various technology tools, interested in using them, um, integrating them as a regular part of their practice and modeling that, um, you'll have a different level of access, right? As a teacher candidate, but also as a student, right? If you have a teacher that um, has gone through professional development, is part of networks, you have a different level of access to digital tools um, than some then some other students or other teacher candidates within your same program or your same school site that um, might not have that particular teacher or professor. So if it's not really integrated and cohesive across a program or across a school site, um, that's also an, a digital equity issue. All right. So talking about access to um, professors who are really on board with using digital tools uh, for creating meaningful learning. Um, I definitely have a take and a reaction uh, to that. I, I don't know. If you, OK, so one of the things I think um, this comment and Bettina's in the field of teacher education and our program, our podcast is for new teachers, new teacher talk. So one of the things this reminds me of is the importance of doing your homework. Um, you may live in an area where there's more than one teacher education program. You may not. So um, in the case where maybe you only have one option, I don't know if I can comment like a rural area. I, I couldn't comment about that too much. But if you have choices of different universities and teacher ed programs, um, do your research and look at the uh, the lens or the um, the 
I, I was going to say the credits, but the um, the uh, the resumes of the faculty. Um, look at their Twitter uh, accounts. See what they're tweeting about. See what they're talking about. Look at the articles they're they're uh, writing, and try to make yourself aware of what you're going to get out of um, that teacher ed program in terms of uh, being a teacher who's better able to bridge this this gap sometimes they call it the digital divide of i mean for lack of a a, a more a finer term like the have and the have nots and that's with students and families but that's also with schools and districts um so i just i just think this re- is a reminder uh and there's like a concrete tip for you is like do your homework on your teacher ed program don't just go oh it's convenient oh it's the cheapest oh it's the closest um you are investing in you when you get that uh teacher program um when you sign sign up for that and so make sure it's really preparing you to be the type of teacher you you want i don't know thoughts pablo i totally agree and i i just want to put a, a part b to that is that when you get into the profession as a new teacher that there are levels to this game and and if you just stay on level one per se, uh, that you're not going to provide digital equity to your students because you're going to fall behind in that, uh, I guess, digital divide to use your language. And um, I, in, in the same goes for you being in a program, then the onus comes on to that professor to level his or her game mm. up as well. So, I mean, there, I mean, there can be excuses, but the, the, the thing is that if you are in a program and, and you're not going to get, you can do your homework, but it's not, you're not going to get 100%, <laughs> you know, satisfaction, you know, satisfaction on the um, digital equity meter per se, yeah. that you're going to get, you know, you're going to knock it out of the ballpark every time in every class with every professor. So you have to provide either yourself or to fill in the gaps in yeah. that. Or let's look at the other side, you, the professor, and I know that's not necessarily our audience, but they have to also bring their A game in in terms of that. So I think that's, you know, Bettina drilling down to the professor is, is a common, is, is a common thing for us not really, I guess not really understanding in terms of like what digital equity is in terms of like whether it's the professor, whether it's the student, whose responsibility yeah. is this? It's all of our responsibility yeah. to gather together and get this information and, and kind of lift each other up. And that that's a great point. And it reminds me of the fact they taught they touch a, a, uh, on this in the webinar. And I'm not sure we have a quote about this mm-hmm. specifically, um, but they, they they touch on the fact that um, or let me let me go about it this way. In your classes, you are often preparing lessons and you're getting these samples together. So you you can make it your goal, even if the teacher ed program isn't on their A game with, with digital equity and digital resources and teaching and learning in a digital sphere, you can embed that as part of the work that you are doing because you're committed to educating yourself and you're yes. gonna say, I'm always gonna have um, uh, a plan for technology to be a meaningful part of this and how does it like um, I mean if you want to use Sam or how does it like augment this um, experience or how does it uh, modify it or uh, what's the R revolutionize yeah. <laughs> I always uh, reinvent <laughs> yeah. um, so how does technology make this uh, teaching and learning more um, expansive or meaningful however 
I'm very mindful. You can put that into the lesson and that's not what the teacher uh, education professor wants because it's out Mm -hmm. of their wheelhouse. It's Mm -hmm. beyond them. It's, it's something they're unfamiliar with. And so part of what we're doing here is we're trying to move forward. Like you said, like it's, uh, it's all of our responsibilities. And so as a teacher education candidate, or the same thing could be for a first year teacher, maybe your principal's not digitally savvy and doesn't really look for that in the classroom and you're pushing the, the envelope. Um, take it upon yourself to be that ambassador of this is for the good of the kids. And here's why I'm doing this and explain your reasoning and, and advocate for why you're doing it. So, um, that's if your teacher ed program is behind the times, let's say, or your principal is behind the times, you actually have to become kind of the ambassador of like, like this is for the good, good of the kids. Um, and there was a connection to something in there. Um, but I'll, (laughs) I don't know (laughs) if I made it. (laughs) Um, okay. So, so let's play a clip from this is Professor Raina, and I believe she says her name, her full name. Um, I'm just going to say Professor Raina, and then um, we're going to hear her talk about being a gatekeeper. Hi, y'all. My name is Raina, Raina Leon. I'm an associate professor at college. Um, one thing that I'm thinking about too is how to make sure that our um, the teachers that we prepare do not become gatekeepers. Um, to accessing technology within their classes, classrooms as well. So it's one thing to um, build the capacity. Hopefully you're in a program where you have a professor who has that aptitude, right, to help you to understand um, how to use technological tools, both as a student, but also as a teacher, right? And then you go to your site and hopefully um, they have the capacity there, whether it's network or in hardware stuff. Um, to any uh, tools. And now you have to think about how to transfer that knowledge to your young people be- and get beyond the idea that, oh, all, all young people, all, all you say, understand naturally how to, how to use technology, right? And, um, and, and thinking about like how to get beyond um, or how to, how to not be a gatekeeper to accessing that technology Um, sometimes even because, well, that's not the way that I did it myself in the past. Right. Um, and I know the better way because I was a student and this is how, um, I learned best back then, rather than thinking about there are multiple ways to learn multiple ways to, um, access information and produce and, and, um, demonstrate one's knowledge and build one's knowledge. How do I help my young people, my youth, um, to, to do that? How do I how do I work in partnership with them and learning and, and discovering? So, yeah, so some things around digital equity that, that I'm thinking about. Cool. That was uh, Professor Raina. I think it's De Leon at St. Mary's uh, College up in the Bay Area. Um, reactions to that? Or I can jump in. No, I, I totally see where um, Raina's coming from in terms of being the gatekeeper, I think, happens on, on a daily basis mm, in classrooms all around the United States and probably the world for that matter. And it's mm. because it's because we've, we, we have a sense of, you know, just not having enough information. And I don't want to feel like I'm that person that doesn't know more either than the student um, or what have you, whatever, whatever the limitation is that 
it's super important for a a professor or a teacher, an educator in general, to just really understand themselves and be honest mm. with themselves. The more you're honest with yourself, the more you're going to be honest with your students. And that's going to be much more transparent when it comes time to providing a lecture that involves students, especially involve them more if you're not certain. But don't pump the brakes, so to speak, just because you are not certain. Yeah. Well said. I think this goes uh, hand in hand with a, a concrete tip that I was thinking about. And that's just using the phrase when you enter into lesson, the kind of almost the anticipatory set or like setting the stage to tell the students, look, I don't know how this is going to go, Yeah, but we're going to go forward anyway. So you're modeling a couple things. Growth mindset, the fact that they, they probably think their teacher knows everything. So um, yeah, because you're in the point. position of authority, you're taking the role for goodness sakes. You're <laughs> controlling everything. Yeah. Um, but just saying, I don't know how this is going to go. You're mo- modeling growth mindset and you're also addressing um, your concerns and fears and making it not something that's hidden in the background, but making it something that's part of the teaching and learning experience so that we can talk about our emotions as we're working through things that are unfamiliar. Like that's a great, um, like a lot of times you hear about math anxiety or math fear. So just naming that emotion and then that helps you um, build an opportunities to address it. Um, so that's one strategy. And uh, I, I just think that's, that's healthy and it, it's a good way to teach students that you can just go forward even though you're not sure. Yeah, but on that, I think we need to provide an environment that allows that conversation to happen because if you just drill through a lecture and you barely look up to your students and you just get through those 50 minutes that hour and a half however long you have those students that it's not going to matter how much you feel that that's what you want to happen but in reality if there's no application to your thought process then i don't know things are going to probably fall short there yeah (laughs) Yeah, definitely definitely uh we have another quote here from abby futrell let's hear what she says hi this is abby futrell i'm the new assistant superintendent of edgecombe county public schools um i kind of have a different lens um for example in my district we have some schools um just to give an example, like in, I've been in some schools before I came to Edgecombe. This is I was able to service a lot of schools where, you know, you had um, digital activities and resources in the media center if you finished your work first. So if you look at the population of kids who were, quote unquote, finishing their work first, is that equitable access for our students? So, you know, just kind of looking at those aspects. Yeah, that's a that's a great, uh, a great concept. And it goes it, to me, it goes along with the gatekeeper thing. It can be part of the gatekeeper mentality is yeah. I have to hold you here until you reach the minimum basic standard. And then I'll, I'll, I'll release you and you can do some kind of fun and games while I work with the kids who didn't get it yet. And so you're using this. Um, look, I'm just going to call it a fake standard of achievement to divide who gets access to the, the digital resources. And I call it fake because if you understand uh, human development, you understand that not everybody learns at the same pace and the same mm-hmm. thing at the same time. So why why would you use that as a, a reason to separate uh, uh, people out and give some digital resources and others more work when 
by engaging somebody through digital resources or yeah. novel, innovative things like, hey, make a video about what you learned, you might absolutely unlock their learning uh, in a way that sitting down you know, at the small table in the back with you could never do. Yeah, no, I mean, you took the words right out of my mouth. <laughs> I didn't mean I to. Have, no, I just pulled them right out of there. No, I, you, you said it all. It's just, it, it needs to be embedded. It needs to be part of the curriculum. It needs to be part of what you're doing. It shouldn't be housed in another room or another place, um, unless that's just where you all go to learn. But at the same time, I mean, if it's available to you, especially in your classrooms, then you utilize it and you integrate it. But if you're having to um, go off to a lab and that's all you have, that's fine. But you should you should be thinking not you shouldn't be letting people go um, based on based on how early they finish or what have you, because that there's definitely inequities, inequities. Yeah. Uh, I was going to say inequalities, um, but inequities there, uh, because you're right. And, and you said it, that all students learn differently and at different paces. And that's, that's definitely never going to work out in your favor um, or really the kid's favor. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we do have another um, another quote here from Dr. Uh, Laura Kassab. So let's hear what she has to say. Well, one piece of advice I would give is um, teach students how to use sandboxes and just let them play. Let them get back in touch with the the questioner inside of themselves. The encouraging them to try and break things so that they get comfortable with the with what they're doing and and learn how they themselves are learning the the tool or the technology or whatever it is that they're learning. No, thank you. Thank you, Abby. I <laughs> that let was, them uh, play. Laura. Laura oh, I thought that was Abby. Nope. No? Sorry. My bad. Sorry. Laura. Thank you. So <laughs> thank you, Laura. I appreciate that. Uh, that information, um, you know, let them, let them play and break it and yeah. let them break it. That's how they're going to learn. Um, yeah, the idea is when when students, especially if we're just focusing on students, whether you're a first year teacher or you were that first year student, you play. That's a natural thing. You're very inquisitive as a youngster. And I think once we go through our educational program that here in the United States, that we start breaking you down and taking that. Um, I know it's probably not a word, but the funness away <laughs> from students. And that's not something that we want. I mean, why do you, you know, rigor does not mean that you don't have fun, that you can't break stuff. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and um, it's, 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 I think it's minimalized in, in schools and I'm not sure why. I'm yeah. really not certain why maybe somebody can tell me <laughs> I, I think it's an interesting view like if you think of trying a new technology or tool or let's say it's having your kids blog or vlog or flipgrid or or any any tool anything i think a teacher comes from a background of i'm gonna make sure things are orderly and sequenced and i know what's going on at any moment i'm accountable my principal may walk in there's this um kind of i said sequence already but um this control that a teacher wants because they know that they have the best in mind for their kids i want to get to point x and i have to make sure i do all these things to get there because you know with 30 or 36 students in front of you all different uh people with different wills and different skills you could end up you know <laughs> way off the map if, if you don't plan very well but at the same time 
like she said, get those students in a sandbox experience mm. where you're like, we're going to use Flipgrid. I'm not going to tell you how it works, but I want you to read these set of instructions and work for whatever, five minutes on your own and see if you can figure it out. I guarantee you, you'll have more students hyped and energized and excited and engaged by trying to figure out how it works than if you said, okay, everybody put your finger above the left button and we're all going to click right now. Um, that that just kills the mood, <laughs> so to recipe. speak. Yeah, it's a recipe. Everybody comes out with the same product. Yeah. That well said. So that idea of getting in that sandbox, I've never really heard it said like that. Um, and just that play space and enjoying the technology um, and then making mistakes. I mean, that's yeah. that's that's actually yeah. part of learning is you you have to make mistakes and over controlling the learning process so that the kids end up with a perfect product is actually disingenuous. It's it's insincere and it's not um, it's not as deep or authentic learning as um, letting students sometimes stumble through and make mistakes and learn learn by doing so yeah i mean there seems to be there's there's a certain level of completeness in the chaos it's kind of like where my my mind went there it's like there's a lot of moving parts that can happen in your classroom when students are learning and it doesn't all have to be you know um i don't know inline learning right right, right. It, it can be happening not linearly Right. And I think there there's there's just something that we just we just go back to traditional aspects of teaching and learning. And yeah. um, it does. It's not all bad. But the thing is that it certain it lends itself to um, it, as far as digitalness, yeah. <laughs> um, digital inequities. And that's what we're trying to get through and past. But it seems like it's, it's going to be a while if we stay the course, meaning the way that we have learned over the course of time. Yeah. And there's something to be said for, I mean, do we give teachers that sandbox experience? Do we allow teachers to play and explore and to break sure. things? Um, a lot of times, um, probably technology training or ed, ed tech trainings are over prescriptive and over do this and do this and do this and this is the best practice um, one of my favorite things to do is to get educators in a space where they're creating something it's not a training they're not following steps and they're not trying to memorize a sequence sure. but you're engaging them immersing them if you will in an experience that's unlike anything that they've done before but at the end of it they have an experience to talk about but they've also created something mm -hmm. that can be used for future professional learning experiences like uh, let's say a podcast inviting a teacher to co-create sure. a podcast or participate in a live stream or create some sort of digital content themselves so that they become a creator which it's empowering when you're when you're uh, doing that and you're able to produce something that someone else can use and enjoy and not just say well I sat through four hours of Flipgrid training no totally true I think that traditional conferences um, they're getting better though but most of them have the the traditional sit and get yeah. information and you get a lot of good information and you can get it over you get it in a short amount yeah. of time but then what do you do with that it's you, you're moving on to the next thing you're hoping that whole adage of if I can just get one thing today this will <laughs> be a successful com or conference day yeah. kind of thing but a lot are moving on to those playgrounds or sand lots um, that was mentioned that you you can and kick the tires and you actually mm. get to see how things work and so that 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 
kind of relates to being either in a teacher ed program, yeah. whether you're the professor or you're the student, I think you both need to be able to kick the tires to move forward. Yeah. So another tip is there are um, maker spaces, there are playgrounds, um, that's a, a name of a mm-hmm. digital um, education learning event. Um, there's ed camps. There's ways that you can jump in and Absolutely. connect with people who are like-minded and start exploring. And that's actually a good segue to what Bettina, the thought she leaves us with about uh, professional learning networks or PLNs. So I just wanna say, I. Um, have really appreciated being in conversation with you all. I know we don't, we, you know, we've done two or three conversations together as a group um, and, or with various members of our group. And I know the ISTE digital equity PLN has been really great about bringing people into these spaces and there'll be another conversation in about eight days and I'll be there too. But, um, but most of y'all won't, but um, I just want to put a plug in for um for professional networks, right? And how powerful they are. Because, you know, it's hard for me to take an hour out of my weekend, um, very precious family time and personal time that I get very little of to jump on a, a webcast with folks. But they're, but I always come out feeling fired up and renewed and just really grateful that there are amazing people doing this work and that like, I'm not alone in my own little, like, oh, I believe in equity and social justice and technology and, you know, all these things. Right. All right. That's, that's a great um, way to sort of kind of bring it to a close. I love the fact that she kind of tied into the emotional energy of being connected with like-minded people. And that's something a lot of times the conversations at a school site around digital equity or access or internet, um, it tends to be on the negative side and I can't do X because my student don't have Y. I can't assign this homework because they don't have internet at home and it's focusing on the the things you can't do. And so um, I really like what um, Bettina, Dr. Shea was talking about is tying into those people who are can-do people who are get you fired up, who help kind of set your mind on uh, your sights on the horizons of what's possible. I really appreciate what she was saying about the importance of connecting to like a tribe, if you will, of like-minded people um, to help keep that energy up. Teaching's tough. We talk about that all the time. So connecting with people who are going to help you keep the energy up, keep you focused on things that are important, provide great resources um, that they're passionate about that help you along the journey. Um, Well said. No, absolutely. Uh, Bettina talked about it. It's just not about the rah-rah that I'm here for, you know, I'm I'm here to back digital equity and technology and all the rest of it. It's it's actually those conversations, the real life conversations that you're having. You're just not saying them online and they're empty. You're actually talking to real life people and or real life people like that are talking back and we're having those serious conversations. So I'm very appreciative of not just the people that on Twitter, but uh, people like US that I can talk to these things about and all of my colleagues in the Fullerton School District. Mm. We, we have these conversations conversations almost on the daily in some way, shape or form. And I'm able to, you know, project as well, but I'm able to listen and internally um, just acknowledge that 
everybody's not the same and that we all have different ideas and perspectives. And these things are important, especially as a new teacher, to have these different, go ahead and have your ideas of what technology is, what digital equity is, but to understand it from different perspectives as well, to be able to support the students that are in your classrooms. Yeah. And I think it serves us well a little bit trying to recap um, I mean, we talked about a definition of digital equity, but the, in truth, there's there's different facets of digital equity. It's a complex issue. So you you might have something like access to devices. That could be one facet of it. You could have the idea of access to internet. So you have the device, but you go home and you don't have Wi-Fi at home. So that could be um, part of it. You could have um, access to resources or access to being a creator or access to understanding the possibilities of what digital um, resources and abilities mean for your future. Um, Just because I give you a Chromebook doesn't mean you understand that you could be a computer programmer one day. Um, So there's all these these levels. And so we just encourage you to explore it, Google it, research it, follow people, read books, watch webinars, um, and educate yourself. It's part of your professional responsibility. All of the things. All of (laughs) the the things. things. There's so much out there. There's so much to do. But new teachers, you can do it. We are your cheerleaders. We are here to celebrate you for sure. Absolutely. Well said, Pablo. Um, Digital equity. I liked it. Thank you so much. It was it was good stuff. Thank you to um, all of the folks that um, yeah. provided us with their sound bites. Well, yeah. we kind of we'll, took uh, them off the. Uh, yeah, we'll we'll uh, put their their Twitter handles uh, in the show notes and follow them and uh, tell them that you heard uh, about them through uh, Pablo and Wes. Yeah, yeah. It was just a glimpse. Tell them, tell them we sent you. All right. Remember, five-star reviews and writing down those reviews. And we love you. And only if we've earned it. Only if we've earned it. Yeah. All right. All right. We're done. Peace. Connect with us on social media at Pablo and Wes. On Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, YouTube, and all the podcast places on the web like iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and Overcast. And remember to get your free special gift at pabloandwes.com slash gift. Yay! <laughs> <laughs>